Hey friend, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist on a mission to bridge the gap between faith and therapy. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always 15 minutes or less, and every other Wednesday we share guest interviews with people I hand select to speak into your life. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Stick around until the end of today's show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. I do have a quick announcement. Today is our last guest interview before we hit the summer, and we will resume guest interviews in August. In the meantime... You can continue to tune in on Mondays as we finish our Restored series, and then also use this time to catch up on any guest interviews you've missed over the last few months. I have been very excited to release to you today's episode because this is one of those God connections. Here's how I met today's guest. I was reading my American Association of Christian Counselors magazine, and I spotted his book, And the title alone drew me in. I immediately ordered it. And honestly, I read the book in a few days and pretty sure I highlighted every other sentence. Let me introduce you to him and then I'll tell you just a tiny bit more about why I love the book so much. Dr. Michael McKenzie is the executive director of Marble Retreat, an intensive counseling center for Christian leaders and he is the supervisor of the Doctorate of Ministry Pastor Care Track at Lincoln Christian University, a licensed professional counselor for 26 years, specializing in caring for pastors. He has also been a chaplain and is an ordained pastor. He's an author, speaker, teacher on ministry and counseling issues. His book, Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, Diffuse the Underlying Issues That Take Pastors Down is a compass to guide Christian leaders on a path toward wholeness and health. Friend, this book has seriously changed my life. I don't say that about many books. I just, I'm recommending this book everywhere I go. And I want to be clear, you don't need to be in ministry for this book to speak to you. And I just want to encourage you, I don't care what your title is, if you are a CEO, if you uh, work for somebody, if you own your own business, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you are in ministry, everybody is going to glean from this book. In fact, I believe in it so much, I rarely do this. I'm giving away a few copies, so make sure you're on my email list. You can go to rachelgilbert.com. There's a few places there to join and be on that list because I'm just going to choose a few subscribers who are already there and bless them with this book. So please lean in to this interview I had with Dr. Michael McKenzie. Well, hello, Mike. Welcome to the Real Talk with Rachel podcast. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be here. I always love when God brings guests in as a podcaster. I get lots of pitches and things, and oftentimes I will have those guests on, but then sometimes I find guests just super randomly, and I know they're not random at all because it's God's hand, and 
usually it impacts me first. And then I say, okay, my listeners need to know this person. They need to know their work. And so I came across your book because I believe I saw it in the AACC magazine. I got a copy of it and then I've recently been reading it. It's been blessing my socks off. And I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about this specific topic. Um, Before we do that, though, I like to ask all my guests maybe a random fact about you that I wouldn't read in your professional bio. I grew up in Prince Edward Island, Canada, a son of a lobster fisherman. Oh, that's random. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, and I've been in the States mo- over half my life, so I pretty much consider myself United States American at this point. But yeah. 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 But that's, that was where I was born and raised. Okay. Do you miss Canada at all? I miss the ocean um, and the the little village that I grew up in, you know, Canada as a whole. Yeah, I miss everybody being able to talk about hockey and know what they're talking about. But other yeah. than that, you know, yeah, yeah I, lo- I like the U.S., you know, in a lot of ways as well. Nice. Okay, I love that fun fact. Let's jump into, so your book is called Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, Diffuse the Underlying Issues That Take Pastors Down. Before we start talking about this topic, I want to clear the air for my listeners because most of my listeners aren't pastors. Uh, I'm not a pastor, actually. I am a counselor, but sometimes when people ask me my title, I'm kind of like, it depends on which day of the week you hit me because sometimes I'm a counselor. Obviously, I'm a podcaster. I'm an author now. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. But in my mind, all of those things fall under a ministry umbrella. And so even though we may not be pastors. This book, in my opinion, as I've read it, and I'm almost done with, I think I have one chapter left in the book. I feel like it applies to so many just roles. Would you agree with that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, I use the term pastor a lot because a lot of the clients we see at Marble Retreat are kind of traditional pastors. And since a preaching pastor, a lead pastor, but we see all kinds of folks who serve in the kingdom in different ways. And this book is really for people who serve people who serve, you know, in some form of what they would call ministry, meaning they believe God has called them to serve in this way. Yeah. All right. So let's hear then you're, I know in the bio, I def, I shared how you run, you're the director, right? Of Marble mm-hmm. Retreat. Can you tell yes. us about that and even how you and your wife felt called to serve in, in this area? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'll try to keep it brief because like a lot of stories, it's a long one of how we got there. You know, but my wife and I both, when we met, had a passion to serve Christian leaders. She had been a missionary on the field in China and just saw the struggles that a lot of missionaries had. Um, My brother had been a church planner. I saw how difficult it was growing up. The pastor at my church, his son was one of my best friends. I was in their home a lot. I just saw the stress they were under, you know, so I had a heart for serving pastors as well. And my wife and I both got our master's in counseling. Then we met and we both were like, we really just want to work with Christian leaders. That was our heart and passion. God had been stirring in us. We're like, well, how unique is that, that we both want to do kind of the same thing. And so then God began to open some doors and we were in the Midwest at that time. And he opened the door to work at a place called Blessing Ranch, which was in Colorado. At that point, it's moved to Florida now. And it's a it's a retreat center for Christian leaders, just like Marble Retreat is. And we worked there for a few years. Then we returned for our doctorate degrees. And then we got hired on with Marble Retreat. And then we began part time, moved into being therapists there. 
And then in 2013, we took over as the director. So we've been doing that for 10 years now. Wow, that's amazing. And so do y'all live in Colorado too? We did until a year and a half ago. We are in Florida now, and that's a long story, but we still oversee Marble Retreat. We hired two other counselors to to carry the most of the workload at the retreat center in Colorado. And we do some counseling. Sometimes we return there to lead in intensives. We do some online counseling. Yeah, but currently we're actually in Florida, and that is another long story of how that's happened. But we still are running Marble Retreat in Marble, Colorado. So a lot of people get confused because they're like, what? You're you're not in Marble, Colorado? I'm like, they know. We, a lot of folks have learned through COVID you can work remotely. And that was part of the freedom that we could actually still run the place and have staff there and, and be here. So Yeah. What part of Florida? We are in northern Florida, just uh, south of Jacksonville, just north of St. Augustine. So on the Atlantic side. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's where we landed. It was one of those God stories that, you know, that a home became available. And anyway yeah yeah that's where we are yeah that's a dream of mine i'm like i'm one day i'm getting to florida whether, <laughs> one yeah. way or not yeah exactly uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's very different than colorado that's for sure yeah yeah all right and so before we hit record today i was telling you a little bit that another reason this is just such a near and dear topic to my heart is i am a pastor's kid and i feel like you know i was born in the 80s and i feel like over the last couple of decades i have seen a, a big pivot for the better, if you will. I don't know if you can agree, just my own personal, this is not professional, this is personal viewpoint, of that the church has made some steps in not thinking the pastor should be everything <laughs> to everybody. I know it still exists out there, but it's getting better. Um, what's your thoughts? Like, do you feel like that we're, we've improved any at all in that area or... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do see improvements in, in several areas. One is that, that, that folks don't put them quite on the same pedestal. Now it differs with churches and culture and, and the pastor themselves. And I've also seen a more openness to pastors and even their congregation saying, you know, sometimes pastors even need help and that, that it's okay if they go to seek help. You know, when our place was started in 1974, the McBurney's, they named it Marble Retreat, not Marble Counseling Center, because they knew nobody would come if they called it Marble Counseling Center, because a pastor wouldn't be able to share, I have to go to a counseling center, but they could go to a retreat, and then they didn't have Google in 74, they, nobody could figure out that, oh, this is really a counseling center, you know, up in the mountains. But so I've seen some good shifts you know, on the other side of the coin, though, just as those shifts are happening, some other things have happened in our culture to intensify some of the stress for pastors, you know, so that has been kind of like things were getting better, but then boom, there's been some significant shifts in our culture that have ramped up the stress once again. Yeah, for sure. I, I can definitely see that about the going to therapy for example, whenever I, you know, it was only a few years ago that I was in graduate school and I remember somebody asking me, oh, are you having a hard time filling your schedule? And I'm like, nope, like me and every counselor I know we have waiting lists now. And I've heard, I mean, I've even heard my own pastor talk about his therapist from stage and, you know, things like that. So yeah. that is a huge improvement, but I'm curious if one of the shifts you're referring to, and I, I guess I see it probably because the world I'm in with podcast and author world is the performance treadmill. Like, mm -hmm. is that, is that one you talked about that in your book because of social media, because of everything so public facing now we have a little bit of the 
celebrity culture happening? Is that mm -hmm. any any of the shifts you're referring to? Or yeah, that's definitely one of them. The uh -huh. game has really been changing fast for pastors in the last few years, and COVID ramped it up that everybody was forced to get technological. All of a sudden, people are having to do sermons online, and I have to get into social media, and I have to. And now that has just you know added another facet that they need to bring into their toolbox. And so I think you know pastors were getting into a rhythm of you know of their traditional roles and learning those and schools were learning how to train them well for some of those roles and now all of a sudden there's this whole other ball game going on with social media and performing and having to perform well on screen so to speak and yeah it's it's added a lot of stress to pastors and um, expectations high expectations yeah i can definitely see that okay so i have several questions from you just from in reading the book myself and one of them was I feel like so many people get into ministry initially with a pure heart or pure intentions, if you will. And one thing that you definitely address and I want to talk about today is how our own personal brokenness or our own family of origin, um, those issues, how they affect and, as you say, blow up our life and ministry. Yeah, you know, that's the big message of my book is that you know, ministry can be very stressful. Satan is very cunning. And if you're not aware of your own brokenness, dysfunction, sinfulness, Satan and ministry will push right on your buttons without you even knowing it and set you up to be basically a, a time bomb to connect with the book language, you know. And so what I, what I see happening is it's kind of a subtle shift at times, meaning something goes from functional to being dysfunctional being pushed over the edge just by our brokenness. So obviously, you know, if you're you're a pastor, you're a servant, you need you need to say yes to a lot of opportunities to help people because that's part of your role. But when do you stop saying yes? And I find when that line gets crossed, I see it. And again, I'm a counselor, so take it with my perception. I see it as that's often where our dysfunction that God didn't ask us to say yes in that situation, but we felt we needed to say yes because we would feel guilty. We'd feel fear. We'd be scared of the conflict. Oh, I'll let them down. I feel bad about myself because I let them down. What are they thinking about me? And so we have all these impure motivations. Guilt and fear are now motivating us instead of love and freedom. And that's always a good check mark. If you can say, I'm doing this because of love and freedom, I have the freedom to say no because I am pure and accepted in Christ. I don't have to do this. But I want to do it because I'm called to it and I love the, this person or these people or whatever this opportunity is. But if the guilt and fear are my motivation, you can know it's out of your brokenness. Mm. You know, and there's a there's a healthy fear of God. And yes, that's true. But what I'm saying is my fear of man or other people's perceptions or not being perfect or letting somebody down or getting rejected. So what I see, how our own brokenness, dysfunction, family of origin issues, those things that leave us with these holes in our own hearts and souls, how that leads to blowing up is it begins to push us over the edge from functional, so to speak, into dysfunctional, that it looks good for a while. Like you say, most people we work with are salt of the earth people, but they often get to a point of, I'm just done. I'm done with ministry. And some of them are even like considering being done with the faith because they're so wore out. They've gotten hurt a lot. They they haven't been seeing God moving in their minds for a while. And they're just like, I'm just ready to be done with this. And like, 
okay, let's peel back the layers and see when did this start? And often it's, again, that own brokenness playing out. They thought they were saying yes to you, that example, to follow God's will. But part of it, they were saying yes, because their own brokenness was telling them to say yes. Okay, that was powerful. I have to repeat that, that if guilt and fear are our motivators, that is out of your brokenness. That's, you know, making decisions out of brokenness. Woof, that was so good. I can say, I definitely can relate a little bit to guilt. I'll tell you something I've majorly struggled with is, and I feel like, and with really probably within the last two years, maybe the Lord's broken, actually in the process of writing my book, the Lord really broke it off of me, which was a cool thing I didn't expect to happen, but it was just fun to have that happen. But fear of man, like just fear of exactly like you said, well, what are people going to think of me? And because I don't know about you, Mike, but I know for me, when I started to learn to say no to things and people then were like, oh, well, she's just mean. Or like, I've literally even had people say, either to my face or to somebody else, oh, you know, something that was, I could have received as, oh, wow, hurtful. Or is that true about me? But then I had to go back to, wait, hold on, hold on. No, God didn't tell me to say yes to that thing. If I had said yes Mm -hmm. to that thing, I actually would have been walking in disobedience. And so learning to separate that. But for the person listening who, I feel like fear of man is one that I, I just see a lot of. I know, like I said, personal, but then also just in conversations and things. What is that root? What, what's lying beneath the fear of man that, that gets us so entangled in that? Where does that come from? Do you know? Yeah, ultimately, it's, it goes around a few core questions, you know, that I you know, talk about them briefly in the book, because I try to keep most things kind of brief, you know, in the book so that it gets readable. But one of them, you know, am I loved or lovable? Another is, am I valuable or valued? Another is, am I respectable or respected? Another, am I wanted? You know, those kinds of big questions that we picked up along the way, those questions, because, again, we didn't come into a perfect world and our families were not perfect and they left some gaps in our hearts and souls. And yes, those ultimately can be filled by God, but that's a process to get the full truth of God fully into our hearts and souls and minds. And so that's where I see those, you know, questions coming from not always family of origin. It can be traumatic, you know, situations in high school, college, or early adulthood, all kinds of ways, you know, along the way. But we have somewhere deep down, we can have this kind of a a shame-based question, because really the lie is I am not valuable unless I do this, I perform. I am not valuable unless I make you happy and say yes to you. If I say no to you, I am therefore selfish and bad you know, those kinds of things. And so we all carry around to some degree some brokenness because none of us are perfect. And it's going to be one of those big questions. Am I loved or lovable? Am I valuable? Am I respected or respectable? Am I wanted? You know, those kinds of things that we can all be acting at. And they're not always kind of alive and kicking those wounds, but they can get stirred up in certain moments. Yeah. Do you feel like we ever fully move through all of our brokenness or are we just constantly works in progress? <laughs> we are constantly works in progress. That's the good news and the bad news. The good news of that is we should just have a lot of grace for ourselves and others. The bad news is, is dang it, I got to keep working. You know? yep. Why can't I get there? What? But you know, that's what heaven is for. But, but you do see progression. And I have found even in my own life, having it, you know, my own wounds, that even just being fully aware of them 
helps me so much to say, I know what's going on right here. And I know how I want to react. I want to get defensive right now because I am feeling tested here. And just to know that typically gives me the freedom to have a different reaction. Not always, not every time, not perfectly. But that's what I find working with a lot of people in ministries. They're so focused on ministry, on God, on others. They haven't really spent much time looking at themselves to say, why do I react this way? Why why do I have to eat like nearly a whole pizza after elder meetings? What's going on with that? You know, mm-hmm. why why am I so stressed out, you know, on Monday or you know, whatever it may be. And they just keep going, you know, and that's really important is for all of us to step back and say, what is my brokenness that's causing these situations? What is my brokenness that's causing these situations? I like that. Or my reactions, I should say, you know, a little clearer. Yeah, Yeah, your reactions. I loved your answer to that for a couple of reasons. One, because I know for myself, every time I, I feel like the Lord stretches me or I enter maybe into a new season or different leadership role. I'm like, oh man, there's another thing that popped up that I got to deal with in myself, right? However, mm-hmm. and so like it's just encouraging though to hear, yes, we're we're a work in progress. It's okay, you never arrive, but then you also followed it up with the awareness piece because exactly like you said, that that awareness is so huge just to recognize, okay, I'm going to be tempted to respond like this right now, but we're not going to go there. And so I just also feel like that I, I feel like I've given that answer sometimes to people of just awareness is the first step in healing. And I feel like sometimes people can think, well, that seems too simple, but it's actually really powerful when we start to recognize mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough. It can be painful yeah. to see yourself in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but it, it also yeah. it can be freedom. It can mm-hmm. be a step towards freedom yeah. to say, Hey, that, yeah. that's part of why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. It also co- makes us have to stay humble, right? <laughs> to, Feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, I still have some things that I can work on. All right. So you introduced a concept in the book called the silver bullet. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, and that and that is just a common theme. It's not for everybody, you know, so take it with a grain of salt. Your silver bullet could be different. We could all land on one. Basically, it is kind of our own or the world's or Satan's antidote to our struggle, our that question mark in our heart and soul of am I loved, valuable, respected, those kinds of things. We land on something. And one that I commonly see in ministry is, and there's different words. I use different words in the book than I even may say now, but basically it's performance. It's like, you know, if I perform, I won't struggle with these deep-seated, you know, kind of questions about my value and worth. And so what is my my way to perform well is to work harder. And so the silver bullet is hard work. And there's there it's what gets confusing is that's a good thing to work hard. I mean, I think scripture is clear on that. I think we're supposed to be industrious. I think we're supposed to use what God has given us to honor him and the kingdom. And I don't think it's going to be easy or cushy or an easy ride, you know, in the ministry. Yet again, it tips over at some point when we go into doing it to answer that soul question is the problem. We're not doing it again out of love and freedom. I, I want to serve God. I want to love God, love people. I do. That's part of it. Yes. That's in the mix. We're all a mixed bag, but there's another part of me is I do it because it makes me feel good about me. The other day I was having lunch, you know, with a, a mega pastor, pastor of a large church. And I was telling him about another mega pastor that I know and work with who I'm really concerned may end up having a heart attack because he's pushing so hard 
And he's basically using, you know, caffeine to be able to sleep four hours a night and all this kind of stuff because I guess so much of the church is so big, it's rocking and roll. And and so I'm telling this this pastor, you know, because I'm trying to warn him because I see him going the same path. So I'm telling him, you know, there's this other mega man, I just really am concerned about him. He's probably going to end up with a heart attack and his eyes get bigger and he gets more excited. He's like, but isn't that an awesome way to go out? Just pushing it to the max until finally you just die. Wow. And he meant it. He meant, I mean, in us, and I'm like, okay, so it gave me a great opportunity for challenge, obviously, but is that God or is that of himself? And that's of himself that I would feel like a hero if I pushed it to the max, even to the point of my own death, because to him, that's like, that would just be like an incredible way just to go. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's, there's one thing for, you know, being all out for God, but then there's another part of us that it, at some level we're doing it for ourselves mm. because we are trying to answer a deep question in our own heart and soul about our own adequacy. Yeah. I think you said somewhere in the book about we're trying to outwork our insecurities. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yes. That one yes. struck me because that, there's that's a huge difference. And like you said, working because you want to and you get to, but then also like film like, okay, if it almost reminds me of the whole saying, fake it till you make it, right? Of like, okay, if I just hit this certain level, then I won't have any insecurities anymore. And we all know that's mm-hmm. not true at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I made count in the book about the pastor who came to us for burnout, who was a church minor. And he's like, man, if I can just get to 100 people, I can relax, not have to push it. Then it was 200, then it was 500, then it was 1,000, then it was 2,000, then it was 3,000. He said, I'm driving out to my church. We're at 3,500. And I'm like, if we could just get to 4,000, I think. And he's like, okay, I need to go to Marble Retreat. There's something going on here. Like, and he was telling me, like, that was the formula. And he's like, I did that for years and never caught it that I'm on a treadmill, that I'm turning up the speed on the treadmill, but I'm still not getting anywhere because I'm trying to answer some question from my own heart and soul that I can't answer by having more people in my church. Now, did he do good ministry? Yes. Did God use him? Yes. And was there goodness and real faith in what he was doing? Yes. But there was also a little dysfunction that I will finally be able to relax and feel good about myself if I accomplish this. But then the bar went to this, and then the bar went to this, and just a little bit more, and I will be, I'll be good then, you know, yeah. and that's a lie. I think every person can relate to that never enough thing. <laughs> if you're on that treadmill or that the wheel, you can relate to that in all areas of life, ministry, mm-hmm. weight loss, finances, the Parenting. I mean, just across the board, if, if that's what's driving us, it's never enough. Absolutely. Yeah, and then exactly. it's also not even biblical, because if you think about it, whenever God designed for us and, and mirrored for us what true rest looks like, he didn't say, I hustled as long as I could, and I finally hit this number, and then I took a day of rest. He just was like, mm-hmm. nope, I did these things, and then I rested. It wasn't a, I earned it kind of thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, this is, yeah, this is so good. Did you know your body is always speaking to you? The biggest feedback about my book, Image Restored, is that you love learning to listen to your body. I want to let you know about an exciting new resource I just released. It's a quiz called What's Your Body Trying to Tell You? It's only five questions and will take you less than two minutes to complete. 
This quiz is just one more step in helping you tune in to your body. Go to rachelgilbert.com forward slash quiz to take it and you'll receive your result plus a PDF with helpful resources. That's rachelgilbert.com forward slash quiz. Actually, this brings me right to my next question perfectly. What is your advice to the person who has difficulty resting or playing? Well, you know, I think again, you know, my, my book is trying to get people to ask the deeper questions. What's driving that? Why can't I, you know, there's always all these, um, these shoulds and these fears, you know, I, I have to do it. I mean, that's why I hear pastors and other ministry leaders, but I have to do this. I have to do all these things. I, I have to, and I have, you know, joked that because, because I've actually seen it in reality. So it's not somewhat a joke and somewhat reality is I've joked at times, not a very good joke. I understand, but that it's nice working with pastors after they have had a heart attack, because then they are like, you know, I think I can make some changes now. Like just a week ago, they were like, no, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know, I think there's some space in my life for change because it got their attention and it made them realize they actually do have more power, so to speak, to say no to things than they thought. So I think when the when a pastor, a ministry leader, a driven person can't rest is what's what's really driving that. And often again, there's fear. There's fear of man, if I am not going at 100 percent in all these areas of my life, ministry, parenting, my own personal care, doing all the shoulds that are being thrown at me every day, then something's going to blow up. Something is I'm going to drop the ball. You know, and so there's this fear of just resting and trusting in God. So that's the other part that comes to to me. In some way, has to come back to a lack of trust in God Mm -hmm. that I have to stay up. Like it says, God does not sleep in a sense. Oh, in the sense of His care for us, you know, He He watches over us. He has us in the palm of His hand. You know, yet and somewhere deep down, there's this fear that if if I am not dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's something bad is going to happen. And so therefore I better stay constantly aware, alert, going, 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 and I just can't rest. I can't have peace and rest. So I, it comes back again to to kind of where's where's the fear? What's driving that? And sometimes you just have to sit quietly with that when you are trying to rest. Like, what do I think I have to go do? And then push that another question. Well, why do I think I have to go do that? What are my concerns going to happen if I don't go do it? you know, and that kind of stuff and, and keep trying to dig in. And often it's helpful to have another person to bounce that off of to say, hey, you know, I realize I just can't rest on a Sabbath. I can't even take a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of the the Ten Commandments that we just blow through and just wink as we go through it, like, uh, you know, Sabbath. And but as if God didn't mean it, you know, yeah. and and so anyway, I think it's good to to take some time to dig into what is driving that at a deeper level, because we always have lots of justifications for why we can't stop or slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so such a trust thing and a control issue, I feel like as well. I was sharing mm-hmm. with you that I think we were talking about this before I hit record that this is as we record this, this is my book launch week. And it was just this weekend, it was on Saturday, I was, you know, this is Real Talk with Rachel, so I'll just be honest with y'all that I, this is an area that I know I could react a certain way out of my brokenness, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and go, oh my goodness, I have to freak out and hustle and jump on that performance treadmill and crank it up to sprint mode. And I 
on Saturday was driving to go work out and was starting my mind thinking through this coming week and like, okay, I could do this and this. And I was just going down this to-do list thing. And I could literally feel the stress rising. And I just thankfully recognized where my brain was headed. <laughs> it was going down a dark, dark path. And I just said, Lord, what do you think next week should look like? And almost immediately I felt him. And honestly, I started crying in the car. I felt him say, daughter, how about you just go play next week and let me work on things behind the scenes for you. And like, mm -hmm. I just literally started crying because I was trying to control, right? I was sitting there trying yeah. to plan my week and go, oh, I have to do this and this and oh no, I need to do this. And, but then the Lord just gave me an order of, no, you go play. Now, mm -hmm. here's why, because I've been working hard, right? And it's like, he was saying, it's time to just reap the fruit, or reap the harvest of what you've been doing. And so that was a word for me in that moment. But I just wanted to share a real life example of me having to just kind of pause. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's a daily thing for me. I'm like, okay, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And what you're capturing, Rachel, is breaking out of the trap. You know, we, we all, I think, get into ministry, you know, just vast majority with good hearts, good intentions, out of faith and out of gratefulness for what Christ has done for us and we want to serve. But yet what we what we can land on is this kind of one one kind of way of relating to God. And that's through performance. Mm -hmm. You know, that we just got to work for God. And you know, one of my friends captured in a great sermon he did like, are we first and foremost a tool to be used or a child to be loved? Mm -hmm. And we often will like put all of this, you know, our relationship with God into a performance and we feel guilty and bad and we're letting God down or letting others down. If I take a break if I then it feels selfish after a while but but really it is enjoying a relationship with God that is more full than just working with him we work you know with him in ministry and he allows us to do that which is a privilege but it's also playing it's also enjoying him it's also enjoying the gifts that he gives us it's also enjoying other responsibilities he gives us like parenting and marriage or whatever else he may have given us and but we we so often will boil that down and in that situation god was saying i have another gift for you here rachel besides this opportunity to write a book and reach people which is great and, and congratulations it's a great thing but god has other things for you as well yeah yeah so on launch day instead of me like running around like a chicken with my head cut off uh, my me and my Three kids and my husband were going to go play and ride go-karts and do fun stuff. So I was like, okay, we're going to play. But, we're doing it. But to be honest, <laughs> you'll still be thinking about it. Though. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, I will. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. It's fine. You, yep. you can't do 100% cutoff. And we're all human. So it's yep. fine to let at moments let it go through your head and be like, you know, but hey. I got to win this go-kart race. So I need to exactly. focus. You know? Exactly. I got to beat my kids, you know, so they know <laughs> who's boss. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So you mentioned that the most common problems for ministry leaders are isolation, unrealistic expectations, and poor boundaries. Uh, which of these do you feel like you're seeing the most in today's world? Oh, you can choose all man. three if you need to. <laughs> oh, it's kind of a blending. I mean, isolation is still a big problem. And that's always been one of the greatest ironies of ministry is the isolation that, you know, that we work with people, we serve people, yet we're isolated in the sense that they don't know our the broken side of us, the struggling side of us, the doubting side of us, or the side of us that has needs and you know, those kinds of things. Um, the high expectations, I, again, I think 
it's, it has ebbed and flowed, you know, in church history. And I think there's some ways it's gotten better. And then other ways now it's ramped up. And I just work, I've talked to so many pastors now who just feel like there's so much pressure to have, you know, great sound bites and great, you know, just things on social media and whatever it may be. And, and so that is a tough one. And then the boundaries thing has always been an issue because it's not, you know, doing ministry, you know, often is not like, you know, checking in, checking out plant somewhere, working, you know, where I'm, I walk out of the office and I'm done. And I can go home and just be mom or dad or whatever. No, ministry has infiltrated our lives. So I think a lot of all of them, but yet I would come back to isolation being one of the pivotal ones because in isolation breeds shame and secrets and you don't get out of your own head. Um, you don't have somebody telling you you're in trouble. I'm concerned about you. Because sometimes, you know, I've had had pastors tell me some incredibly difficult things they've walked through, and then they follow with, and my congregation had no idea, mm. because they were so fearful of the of the judgment or the poor response, or they wouldn't be considered as strong of a leader if they, they said to them, I just went through this, or my kid just went through this, or whatever, and I'm like, what a lonely, isolating place to be, and what a, a breeding ground for further shame and struggles and self-medicating and all those things if i'm not sharing that with anybody so i I would still land on isolation being one of the more powerful ones that still is affecting so many in ministry it's a particular again kind of isolation yeah yeah okay so on page 69 of your book you talk about getting to the issues beneath the issues and I feel like, you know, we've been talking a little already about that today, how you're saying when we notice this thing up here is happening, there's a reason, right? There's something, we're all about that behavior modification in our world. We're like, just help me not do this. Like even my question a second ago, how do I learn to rest? And your your answer is like, well, what's the fear beneath it? You know, help me learn to play. Well, what's the fear happening? So other than coming to Marble Retreat, obviously, how can we begin to really get to the the underlying issues or even just one one little tip for the listener today there oh man there's lots of uh, yeah. lots of ways i could approach this you know what is paying attention mm-hmm. you know i remember again i i mentioned i grew up in canada so of course play ice hockey have until a couple of years ago and one day i was getting on the ice it was warm-ups i i was looking at the other team and i was picking out the best player on the other team by how they skated and then I recognized my goal was at some point in the game to beat the other, the best player on the other team. So I had to ask myself, what's going on there? Why do I think I need to do that? What is driving that? And there was a part of it, if I'm going to feel adequate, that's the measuring stick. I need to measure up to that measuring stick. It was just paying attention for a few minutes, like to say, what? Just ask myself the question, what, what, what's that about? You're just here, it's supposed to be for fun. You know, it's supposed to be a game. And why do you think you need to do that? You know, and so one, is paying attention to it's so important to to do this journey in relationship that can be a counselor and the counselors you know can be trained to help you with that it asks the questions to overturn rocks that you wouldn't think of but it can be done with somebody who's close to you but giving them the freedom to like say hey i i know on the surface i'm experiencing stress i'm experiencing some anger reactions i don't like i get defensive quicker than i want whatever it may be I want to talk this through. And I even want to give you permission to speak into what do you see in me? I mean, I know you see something like this past Sunday at the church we attend, 
the pastor was talking about relationship struggles and he went through all the categories of difficult people naming all of the pessimistic the critics the the victims all this stuff and then he turned it and said you are one of those because we can all see it in everybody else but like can you name which category you're in that other people see and other people do see it but we often don't give them the permission to say it you know i remember one time at marble retreat we had this well-known pastor there, but he was fairly arrogant. And, you know, it came out in different ways. And uh, one time he came into session and he was saying, you know, I don't, I don't think, and we were doing a lot of group counseling. He was like, I don't think other people in the group really like me, which was a surprise to him because, you know, he was thought he would be loved and honored because he's kind of well-known and that kind of thing. And so anyway, I said, yeah, well, you're kind of, you know, self-centered. And he was like, what? And he's like, he got mad and defensive, of course, which I don't blame him because who doesn't, you know? And he's like, prove it. And so I gave him like half a dozen examples of things he had done and said in the group counseling to other people there. And he was just mad and left the office. I thought, oh, he's done with that. He's probably going to leave, you know? And then the next morning he comes into session and apologizes to everybody. And then later he told me, nobody's ever told me that. Wow. I never do. He's in his fifties, well accomplished. And I don't know if people tried to tell him or just out of respect and fear, they didn't. But the point was, he asked me to hold up a mirror and I was like, oh, great. I'd love to. And then I was like, okay, here's what I see. You at times, that's not his full heart. He's a good guy, but he can just be kind of full of himself at times. And he's like, nobody ever told me. And now he's grateful for that. And his wife is very grateful. You know, they have taken a lot of great steps in their marriage since then. And so my point being is in relationship is so important, you know, to have somebody else who you let be eye to eye with you, not somebody who's your, you know, who's scared to say anything because they don't want to upset you or anybody who maybe has power over you in some way. But somebody who's eye to eye who can really speak into your life. Oh, that's good because they're calling your blind spots, right? Mm-hmm. And I know we can, I can say for myself and then for other people, it is interesting how everybody in the room can see something except for the person. <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes, again, going back to kind of the awareness is having that prayerful mindset of God show me so often when we are experiencing those surface level things I talk about, you know, whatever it may be, I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like how I'm responding. It's like, God, help me to stop doing that. Help me stop being defensive. Help me stop. Instead of God revealed to me what's going on in my heart that is coming out in defensiveness or anger or blame or whatever it may be. So again, I think staying aware, staying alert and being willing to look at yourself and then inviting somebody else to help you, you know, do that is is so key. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my husband and I crossed into a, I feel like a new level of growth in our marriage was when we gave each other permission to do that, you know, not 24 seven, but because you know, <laughs> yeah. that would be sure. exhausting, but yes. to have dedicated times where we're like, all right, what are my blind mm-hmm. spots? Like, what am I not seeing? And it was, it was eye opening and it was, yeah, it just it brought down a lot of walls and, and helped us both individually. But back to your original thing, you have to be in a relationship with somebody to, well, for them to be able to do that. Yep. Yeah. And then you have to have a particular kind of relationship because, mm-hmm. again, most people out there have some kind of label on us, on our dysfunction that we aren't even aware of. But we know they're not saying it or if they say it, they say it so poorly, we don't want to hear it yeah. and we can't hear it. And yeah. so 
to be open to it and saying, hey, I, I respect you, our relationship, speak into this, yeah. you know, for me. Yeah, usually it comes out in like an ugly fight or something. And then they yes. don't receive it because they're like, well, you were just mad and venting everything I've ever done in my entire life. So I don't receive yes. any of that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah sure. Okay. Well, Mike, this has been amazing. I could talk to you for another hour. Um, where can the listeners obviously get a hold of your book, but also learn more about you, the retreat, all those things? Yeah, you know, my book, just like anything these days, you can Google it and it'll pop up on Amazon and other wherever you buy books, so to speak, Christian books and other places. IVP, the publisher, has it on their website. You know, you can also go to the ministry I work for, marbleretreat.org, and there's a page there that has some information about myself and the book. And, and of course, you can learn more about the Ministry of Marble Retreat, which again is an eight-day counseling intensive for Christian leaders. And it's in Colorado. It is for folks dealing with burnout, marital issues, grief, trauma, church hurts and wounds, times of questioning your calling, those kinds of issues that really are connected to people serving in ministry. And it's it's our privilege to serve folks out there who are serving. We feel like they're on the front lines. We're here to support them and help them. And we really see it as an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All those links will be in today's show notes. Uh, one final question before we go. How can we as people and as the churches support our ministry leaders and things in this area. Any quick tips there? You know, I think some of the things come back to, you know, um, not expecting too much of them, you know, and you know, the saying is, you know, my, my emergency is not your emergency. And like, is my emergency really need to be the pastor's emergency, you know, kind of thing, or can it be somebody else's? And I think, you know, having them have a very specific job description goes hand in hand with that and that being clearly respected and communicated. And so I think us, you know, who, who attend a church or members of a church are like, you know, here's what the pastor does and doesn't do. Let me not try to blurry the lines for them because often they feel caught because they are good people. They're loving people. And we'll throw something at them that really is not in their wheelhouse and then often they will try or try to get somebody else on our behalf. And I think if a lot of us would just stop and say, I don't think this is really in the pastor's wheelhouse because they're up front and we we respect them. We think we want to put it in their wheelhouse. I, I think if a lot of us would just say, you know, I think there's somebody else I can take this to. I could take it to even an elder in the church or somebody else, you know, or give the pastor complete freedom to say, you know, if you have a recommendation, just let me know who I should talk to. Because I think often the pastors I work with, they're good people. They want to love, they want to serve, and they can't always quickly distinguish, is this an opportunity God is asking me to step into or not. And we put that on them often. So if we could help them a bit in that, I think that's be really huge for them. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you again for taking time to come on and just to speak life in this area. And I'm excited for the listeners to not only listen to this episode, but to read your book. It's a good, oh, it's great. good, thank, life-changing. Thank you so much, Rachel. And congratulations on your book. I hope it goes well. And I really hope you just enjoy the rest of this week with your family. That's that's a huge blessing for everyone. Yeah, thank you. Okay, God bless. It's time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement in your life right now. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we're taking a break from guest interviews this summer. And 
Let me give you a little insight into this. Logically, in my mind, right, this doesn't make sense because I don't want to lose listeners. But emotionally and spiritually, I know I need a break so I don't lose myself. I need you to hear that again because I'm talking about me, but I'm speaking to somebody about your situation. I just sense that in my spirit. Logically, I don't want to lose listeners. But emotionally and spiritually, I know if I don't take this break, I will lose myself. There is somebody listening today that you know the Lord's been tapping on your shoulder and you just even know that you need to slow down. Maybe even just for a minute. These slowdowns, these rest, it's just like an athlete stops and takes a break. They catch their breath. They refuel. They get some you know, food in their body. They might even take a nap. They tape up. They do all the things. And that is because the only way they're going to finish their race is if they stop, they take a timeout, they have some rest, they rejuvenate, they get some healing, and then they can get back out there and they can go again. And my friends, I know firsthand what it feels like to be burnt out. In fact, I have been running really hard for a few years now. And the Lord is gently and lovingly asking me to rest so I don't blow up my ministry. And honestly, I'm like getting moved to tears right now just sharing this with you guys because I love y'all so much. I love podcasting. I love being a counselor. I love being an author. I love being a mom and a wife. Like I love all the things, but I know those things will not be there for me to get to do if I don't pull back and just be, just be. And I am sharing this personally because there are some of you listening today who you have been afraid to rest. You've been afraid to take time away. You've been afraid to back away from some commitments because like me, logically you're going, but if I do that, I'm going to miss out. Can I encourage you? That is actually the opposite. In fact, if you do it, not only are you not going to miss out, but when you come back, when you're fully rested and, and you're ready to be released again, it's going to be so beautiful. There's going to be so many things there waiting for you and not just opportunities. Yes, opportunities, all the things. That's great. But you're going to get in touch with you again. There are so many of us who are just walking around disconnected. And I just feel like the Lord's saying it is time to reconnect and to renew. So I have a few practical just questions for you here as we do in this segment and I want you to ponder these, especially if you, as you consider that maybe you need a break from something. I understand we can't all just take time off work. And honestly, I'm still going to be working some. I'm still going to be doing some counseling and some different things. But I'm just pulling back on a few things that I'm able to. And that might be you too, okay? So here are just a couple questions for you to ponder. Number one, is my life pace sustainable? You know, I mentioned a little bit ago that I've been running for a long time now, not physically, <laughs> but just in all the things in life. And I said this to somebody recently, and it was a little bit frightening. I realized I've been trying to sprint a marathon. Okay. 
I'm not born to sprint a marathon. I know there's like a few rare people who can do that. And uh, I'm not, I'm barely a sprinter of a hundred yards, let alone a marathon. And I want to know if that's you too. You've been running at a pace in your life that is not sustainable. So answer that question. Is my life pace sustainable? And if not, what needs to change? On this question, I want to encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit what needs to change. It's going to be different for all of us. The things that he might ask some of us to pull back from will be different. I know for me, another thing he's asking me to pull back on is my social media use and just phone use in general. But for you, it just could be something different. Like lean in and ask him, okay, what needs to change? And then finally, I want you to ask, how am I really doing? In other words, how is my heart? You've probably heard me ask this question before. I love to ask this question. It takes people off guard sometimes because they're like, what? What do you mean? How's my heart? It's beating. No, but like, how really are you? Are you okay? And if you're not, that's okay. But it just might be time to take a little pause and get the rest and rejuvenation that you need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single person who is sitting under the sound of my voice. I thank you for the blessing of getting to host this podcast and and meet here with this community, even though we don't see each other face to face, that I get to be in their ears and just getting to speak into their life. And I'm grateful, Lord. I pray blessings over everybody's summer, that you rejuvenate them, that you restore them, that you just, any area of their life that just feels dry, you bring it back to life. Bring those dry bones back to life, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you show us anything in our life that we could change, any area we need to slow down and hear from you. It is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, I pray this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I will see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.